Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. This week, we'll be responding to readers' dilemmas about commitment, wedding locations, and ugly mustaches, specifically whether you're allowed to make your fiancé shave one off. Here to help me out is Meredith Goldstein. She is an advice columnist and features writer for the Boston Globe. Her advice column, Love Letters, is a daily dispatch of wisdom for the lovelorn that's been running for more than a decade. She also hosts the popular Love Letters podcast, which is one of my personal favorites. And the reason I know her, I think, is that I just sent her a creepy DM out of nowhere telling her how much I loved it years ago, before I knew I would be in this business. Um, Anyway, her books include the memoir, Can't Help Myself, Lessons and Confessions from a Modern Advice Columnist, and the romantic young adult novels, Chemistry Lessons and Things That Grow. Welcome, Meredith. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, So before we get started, I want to ask you for one piece of unsolicited advice, just anything you want to get off your chest. Lately, I've been taking lots of naps, and Mm -hmm. then I feel bad about them. But my advice to myself and to everybody is never feel bad about rest. It's something I need to get better at, but let's all just nap a little bit. I think I learned this when I started working from home. Like the mental clarity you have after a 20-minute power nap is just amazing. It's so worth the time you miss napping. Um, but you just you can't use that mental clarity on Twitter and or TikTok. You gotta yeah. you gotta get back into work when you wake up. Yeah, no shame for like getting the sleep you need. It's funny because you mentioned before this that you were going to a wedding and you might have advice about wedding toasts, but I guess you just you change lanes. Well I did. I did because I have been fully like coming back from this wedding in Ireland, I was like, why am I still tired? Why am I still tired? Mm. I did get eight hours of sleep. And then I was like, oh, it's okay if I'm jet lagged and just a little little useless because I'll be more useful. So yeah. Well, it's all connected. Okay. And you do have a chance to talk about weddings twice later in this episode. I think I might. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Meredith and I will dive into your questions after a short break. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence. I'm here with Meredith Goldstein. Let's go ahead and get started with our first letter titled, Sad and Confused. What are relationships supposed to feel like? I'm 32, and so is my boyfriend. He just broke it off with me after 20 months, six months after moving in. It was both of our first long-term relationships. I needed to move due to a rent increase, both used to being in our own space, and we just seemed to make each other completely miserable without realizing after the move. We never found a way to talk about it, so after a blow-up fight, because I felt like he was just tolerating me a few months ago and nothing being resolved, he broke it off this week. We didn't have a plan for the move-in and never found a way to talk. I'm anxious and he was depressed. But how much of that was the relationship triggering us? How do you know when you're compatible or not, and when a relationship is worth saving? 
We had so much fun together otherwise and shared so many values. My heart is a little broken and I don't feel like it was beyond saving, even though he broke it off with me. I felt like he was just tolerating me is the line that really stuck out to me because I've felt that way before. And it's one of the worst feelings in a relationship. And I feel like there's no coming back from it. It's this one was hard to read, hard to hear. I, I do wonder, I have had some friends who moved in with someone. They made each other miserable. They realized they weren't ready. They moved out and then moved back in years later. Really? I, I, I don't know maybe if those are just anomalies, but mm-hmm. it sounds like these two people did not have a plan for communication. We're not ready. And just because, you know, I've been thinking about money a lot lately because that's our podcast mm-hmm. theme. And so many people move in because of leases, right. not because of readiness. And right. so, I, I, you know, this relationship sounds like it's over, but I think there's a lesson there and like, well, maybe roommates for another year until you know, until you feel like you could tell your partner anything, like, even if it's critical, it just seems like this was a move they were not prepared for. That's so interesting. I always thought that if living together didn't work out, you just had to scratch the whole thing. It never occurred to me that you could kind of backtrack and take a step back and start over. I will say that the friends I know that that's happened to, well, you know, actually some of them, it was when they were older or, or maybe they've realized, oh, well, we need a second place. And of course, like there's the privilege of affordability. Is that even affordable? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. but Again, even if it is sharing space with somebody else, I think if we were all honest with each other, we'd probably say, oh, I I might need a little bit more time. I might need a little more space. And, um, you know, there are some couples I know that were sleeping over at each other's place every single night and were basically Mm -hmm. living together before they did that. But it does not sound like these people fully knew what this was going to be like. Absolutely. I think the... I mean, not to do a huge generalization, but the right way to move in together is when you're already basically living together and paying two rents and you just formalize it. Um, A rent increase separate from any sort of like emotional development, probably not a great call. No. I mean, the question about how do you know if you're compatible? Yeah. Such a big one. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always say I think it's tough and compatible feels different to different people. I think everyone has different standards for how they want to feel in a relationship. Some people have a much higher tolerance for distance or for feeling irritated with each other or for conflict. So it's not the same for everyone. But I think that at a baseline, you should generally feel like this person is making you happier than you would be without them. So what they're adding to your life is more than the stress of whatever tension or whatever conflicts you have. I like that. Yeah, thanks. Oh, one other line was, I always wonder what people mean when they say they share values. It's sort of something people always throw into letters about how great their relationship was or is before they tell you the bad part. I mean, what does sharing values even mean? It seems like a very low bar for relationships. Is it like honesty, integrity, you know, family, faith? Who doesn't really share some values? I don't think that's enough to get you to a point where you should make this the person you stay with. No, I think some of the questions that come up as I get older are like, well, what if a family member needed to stay with us. Like, would you be open to that? Or like, let's say you had some extra money. Would we treat ourselves? Would we put it away? Or like, um, how do we maintain our friendships? That's a big thing for me because, you know, 
I was single for so, so long and I'm still unmarried. And, and mm-hmm. my friends are such a big part of my life that I would never demote them for a partner. So like, is a partner going to be okay with the fact that I am constantly checking in? Right. People are, so like, those are the values that seem more specific to me that other than like, we all want kindness. It's right. Like, okay, totally. Okay, like, sure. <laughs> like, let's not betray each other. But like, on a random Tuesday, what do you want it to look like? You should be a premarital counselor. I don't know about that. Having never been married, like, what, what do I know? Oh, you know a lot. I had not thought about what values mattered most to me much when I was uncoupled because they were just my values. I assumed everybody had them. But then mm-hmm. you start thinking, oh, like, oh, well, you know, some people are wouldn't move for a partner. Right. You know, and, and what would it take for them to do that? It's, you know. You got to come up with your your own list, but it just—I mean, t- with with these two people, it just seemed like they were so not ready communication wise to face big challenges, and like that's okay. It's probably for the best. It maybe sped them along to a a place where they can really grow by themselves and hopefully with other people. So if we if we take the letter writer at her word that they shared values and they had so much fun together, and living together didn't work, and she felt like she was just being tolerated. I mean, what do you think? Is it worth working on at all? I was I was a strong no coming into this, but hearing about your friends, I'm like willing to change my mind a bit. So in one of the cases with friends, hopefully they're not listening, or at least they know I'm not I'm not <laughs> calling them out specifically. And it's a good thing. Even when they moved out, they kept really wanting to see each other and spend time oh. with each other. So that was a sign to me that I'm like, oh, well, they love each other's company. They just haven't figured out this like system that would be catered to them. Mm -hmm. So if both people are like, well, clearly we don't want to lose each other. We have to figure out a method that works. Like, yeah, that's something to work on. But I don't I don't know in this case necessarily. It's tough to say, but you need two people who are pretty excited and on board to find a different path. Right. Also, it's not actually an option on the table because he broke up with her. Right. There was a breakup. Um, Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't actually matter that much whether she thinks it's worth working on like obviously he broke it off. And I think her real question is how should she feel about it? So is it like, okay, this was a learning experience. We weren't compatible or this was a mistake and I have to work to get him back. And I never think you should have to push too hard unless you made some big mistake that you need to make up for. I don't know. I always remember talking to a therapist like years ago about um, a relationship that was ending or had ended. I've written about this in the column and I was like, what if he was my soulmate? And she goes, well, if you believe in the idea of a soulmate, like what would that look like? And I said, well, I don't know. I guess things would just work, you know? Wouldn't things just kind of work? If there was an idea of a soulmate, you wouldn't have to fight for it. You wouldn't have to battle. You wouldn't have to push and pull. And so that's what I always advise people is that if this was meant to be, it would probably be without like a, a whole lot of back and forth and a whole lot of um, forcing it. I completely agree. A soulmate would not be this difficult. And right. And I will put a little asterisk and say that the couples I know that moved out and moved back in, they never broke up. Mm, okay. So they changed their living arrangements, but they never fully said, I don't want to look at you anymore. They just right. said, oh, this isn't work. So the fact that these two people were willing to let go of each other, yeah, it's a learning experience. You're like, oh, next time it will be a little different and I'll be different and another person will be different. And mm-hmm. I'll say some stuff maybe I didn't say before. It's, you know, it's, it's just a lesson. 
And I think it's always okay at the end of a relationship, which is always hard to comfort yourself by saying, maybe one day when things are different, we'll get back yeah. together. And it's always possible. You know, the letter does say, I was anxious and he was depressed. So maybe in a future universe where both people like have their mental health more under control and are feeling better, they run into each other at a coffee shop. Everything just clicks. It just feels easier. They want to yeah. be around each other. She feels more than tolerated. She feels, you know, celebrated and embraced. You never know. Just keep that in your mind to comfort yourself. Do I think it's going to happen? Not really. But it's okay to keep that open as a possibility. Yeah. Love that. Okay. Our next question is titled, I mustache that to go, which I can't figure out the play on words. Is that a play on I must ask that to go? I think so. I must. Okay. I mustache that to go. Much to my dismay, my fiance Mac has grown a mustache. Not a beard slash mustache, just a straight up mustache. I absolutely hate it. It looks ridiculous, but I understand it's his decision. And as I wouldn't want him telling me what I can or can't do with my looks, I let it be. However, we're getting married in a month. I recently joked with him. Yes, I'm fully aware I wasn't actually joking, but I was trying to bring it up in a lighthearted way about how I'll have to go through the regrowing process after the wedding. He looked at me in total seriousness and said he wasn't shaving it off for the wedding. Prudy, I really don't think I can take that. I don't want to be staring at his mustache at the altar, and I sure as hell don't want to be staring at it in our pictures for the rest of our lives. I really don't think I'm being unreasonable expecting him to shave it for the wedding, but I need a neutral opinion. If I'm not being unreasonable, how do I approach this with him? So I'm just going to kind of think through this out loud, which is always a great idea, right? Just tweet unformed thoughts, share them on podcasts. Of course. Um, I have to admit, I'm so much less sensitive to women wanting men to change their appearances than I am to men wanting women to change their appearances. Um, and I don't know if that's fair. I know that my asshole radar would go off at high volume if a man told a woman, you have to cut your hair or fix your skin or take off your eyelash extensions for our wedding. And that's just how I see it. And I want to kind of own that um, I'm, I'm not being totally fair here. Or maybe there's a way to resolve that. I'm so glad you admit that bias because I have it too. But this hits home for me. I have a personal issue that relates to this letter, which is that <laughs> um, when you DM'd me, it was after an episode where I talked about dating on mm -hmm. an app. And you were like, secretly, are you still with the last guy? And yeah. the answer is yes. I didn't want to ask you again, but I'm so happy to hear I, it. I am. But so here's the thing with him. We'll call him person in my life. That's, okay. He jokes that it's a person in my life. PIL. Yeah. PIL. He's a little pill. So <laughs> when I met him online, half of his pictures had a beard, half mm -hmm. had no beard. Mm -hmm. I was very interested in the man with the beard. When he okay. had no beard, it's not like I was repulsed. I was just like, eh, I might pass over this. I really mm -hmm. liked his beard. So... My friend named him Beardfish. She said, you need to Zoom with him so you can make sure he's not beardfishing you. Mm -hmm. Like catfishing. When we first Zoomed, there was the beard and I was thrilled. So, okay. and I would say these things like as we got to know each other, you know, in real life, in person, I'd be like, oh, I love you beard, your beard. You grow such a great beard. Trying to like hint like, 
please don't, don't get rid this. of it. Don't shave this. Well, now we're much longer into this relationship. And he's like, dude, you know, I used to shave my beard in March, April when it got hot and regrow it in the winter. And I'm like, that's so nice that you did that. <laughs> but and like, then I feel like, oh, if this were like a gender flip, how would I feel if, mm-hmm. if he were looking at me and saying, no, you can't cut your hair shorter? I mean, I want him to be comfortable. Obviously, I love him no matter what. I'll say to him, like, not everybody can grow such a beautiful beard. Why would you? (laughs) So anyway, when I read this letter, it made me also wonder, like, I think for person in my life, the pill, he's fine either way. He's not he doesn't feel less himself Mm -hmm. with or without the beard. If anything, it's kind of itchy. I think when you shave it, it's going back. I want to know why this person loves this mustache. Like, does he did he get this mustache and think? wow, I'm finally my real self. Oh, good question. I look forever or is this like, wait, I just don't want to be told what to do and I'm kind of into this right now because I don't think it's that wild that she's asking for the person she's used to looking at. I'm pretty visually sensitive to things like people suddenly not have, I'm the person that wouldn't know Superman as Clark Kent Mm -hmm. because I get like weird, wait a minute, but they're not wearing glasses. So the idea that also this person I'm used to looking at would look that different would mess with me a little bit too. So I, I, I'm sensitive to this letter writer and I'm curious to know if this guy is like, no, I am this person with a mustache. This is my soul. So let me ask you something. Um, am I correct to assume that PIL is now keeping his beard because you've suggested strongly enough that you really like it? I think so. He'd have it in the winter anyway, and I have a feeling that even if he shaved in the spring, he'd kind of just let it gradually grow back. It was just his routine, and I think it wasn't so much the look. From what I understand, he liked the treating himself to this fancy shave. He would go to a specific place. Right. They'd do a whole thing. Mm-hmm. They'd, like an probably old timey neck rub. Yeah. So that, that's what he's probably missing. And I'm like, well... <laughs> That doesn't seem <laughs> too bad. I mean, and again, like if he looked at me and was like, Meredith, I have to do this. Like I want to, mm-hmm. but he doesn't mind having a beard. But that's the thing. See, you are not to like put too much pressure on your relationship, but this is an example of how it's supposed to work when people are in a healthy place and want to make each other happy. Like you would never force him to keep his beard, but you want to let him know that you like it. And he wants to make you happy. Yes. He'd like he'd like me to be attracted to him. Yeah. And that's a great it's a great way. And I think there is something about, oh, well, this is one of the things that drew me to you to begin with. And obviously, you know, mm-hmm. again, like I would never consult with him about my hairstyle because he needs to control what I do, but almost as I would to friends. Like yeah. if I one day woke up and thought, I'm gonna get bangs, I would probably ask everyone because that's what you do when you're thinking about getting totally. bangs. Totally. Or if if you got bangs and everyone said, I love them. And he said, I love you with bangs. Oh my God, I can't stop staring at you. That might inform your decision to keep bangs. Oh, I'd be like, I'm keeping bangs. I look amazing. Everybody thinks that. So yeah, you know, you want to feel at your best. And it is a version of compromise. I think it it feels dicier when it's about physical appearance um, because we should all have like body autonomy and all sorts of things. But it's a little more casual, I think, with the person in my with my pill but with this letter writer i'm like what's happening with this like imagine i don't know that i would want to get bangs on a whim have it for a few months and have forever pictures at an event Mm -hmm. with the bangs i don't know right i also i want to kind of defend us a little bit for our stance here that like could be seen as unfair to men i think if she was saying i need my husband to um lose weight or like 
get more muscular before our wedding. We'd be like, stop it. What's your problem? It's not all about the pictures. It's about how he feels. Aren't mustaches sort of in the category of like costumey, funny, unserious? There's sort of like a, a jokey, silly thing about mustaches. They can be. I mean, I know some people who are very like, that's their, that's how I've always known them. And that's mm-hmm. how, um, that's what I want to know. Like, what, what does this look like? And what does it mean to him? What has he said? Right. And if he's going, I finally like my face. I finally, like you said, I finally feel like my true self. Then, then also you're, you're marrying that mustache. And so mm-hmm. get used to that mustache. I feel like such a downer and a scold when I talk like this. And obviously I know that nobody is going to reevaluate their wedding that's in a month or three weeks once this podcast comes out um, because Dear Prudence said something. But I do think the conflict kind of represents a deeper issue. I think it's a bad sign when relationships become adversarial in places where it should be easy and you should be wanting to make each other happy and there should be some give and take. It's interesting because just coming back from a wedding at their best, I think weddings can be really stressful and there's all this stuff that's not normal, that routine. And the couple I just saw get married, like they were just constantly doing things to make the day easier for each other. Mm. So this idea that like pressure would be added in such a unimportant way, maybe, um, you know, that changes would be made. Like, again, I, I, maybe this is his identity completely and I'm not understanding the value of this message, but I'm like, can you just make things as easy as possible for the one day? And if not, why? Like, that's a really good question to ask. Is this Mm -hmm. representative of something else? So I guess to ask the direct question, um, she says, if I'm not being unreasonable, how do I approach this with him? I don't think you're being totally unreasonable until you have more information. And I think Meredith gave the best advice, which is um, have a conversation and figure out what the mustache means to him. Yeah. That's going to determine if you're being unreasonable. And if the mustache has like finally made him feel confident, finally made him love himself, if he's really passionate about it, then you may have to let it go. And honestly, evaluate if this is going to be someone you're upset by looking at for the rest of your lives. And if he's just like, this is a trend. Um, I know it's kind of goofy and I just want to get away with it for the wedding. And I just don't care Then I think you can push a little harder with your demands. I'm thinking about this is my second superhero reference, but I'm thinking about the justice league movie where Henry Cavill had his mustache photoshopped off. Mm-hmm. Like, where they CGI'd his mustache off to be Superman and Mm -hmm. it looked wild because I I was thinking like, well, I guess you could always just like erase it away. We have modern technology, but I don't know. It probably, it's not what you want to do to your wedding photos. I'm in this um, photo editing group on Facebook. I don't know how I ended up in there. People are always submitting requests like that to these people who will seriously change something like that in a wedding photo. So this, this could be the solution. We have the technology. We, we do. It seems like a lot of work, but I guess we do. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show, and when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash Prudy Plus to sign up. 
It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, that's slate.com forward slash Prudy Plus. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest Meredith Goldstein to answer your letters. And the next one is titled Peace Over Commitment. My girlfriend and I have a long-running conflict over commitment issues. Due to biological clock concerns, uh, we're both 41, it's important that we marry and start our family quickly. However, there was an early miscommunication. I told her I didn't like texting or calling and wanted to know how many times per week she needed me to do this. Well, this caused my girlfriend to feel as though she would be bothering me if she called or texted me, so she left it up to me, and since I rarely did, she took this as me not being that into her leading to us starting right out on the wrong foot and causing her anxiety over my lack of commitment. She tried breaking up with me nine months into the relationship. I was blindsided by this, but we talked it out. It all came down to the egregious miscommunication about calls and texting. However, after that day, she never stopped bringing up the beginning of the relationship and just let things be good. I told her to just let it go and show me things could be good since there was no doubt in my mind about the relationship, you know, ever since she tried to break up. This leads to repeated and heated discussions wherein I feel attacked and she cries hysterically, which in turn causes me to feel less certain about the relationship. She claims she feels as though I'm making her prove herself to me and I should just commit so she can feel at peace about the relationship, which would give me peace since she wouldn't have to bring up the conversations about my commitment. However, I can't do this until she shows me that she can stop bringing up the past and stop arguing and being so emotional. She'll agree and then we'll have a good day but then she'll break down thinking I may leave her no matter how good she is. She's seeing a therapist, consults with a psychiatrist who prescribes her meds, and has started DBT. But despite this, she's now demanding I commit or leave. We were arguing about this all the time, and I decided to leave, as I'm not happy with how this relationship is making me agitated and act out towards her. She cried when I told her this, and I agreed to get back together with her in a few months. We're broken up for now, but... When she's completely healed her mental health so she won't be so emotional, demanding, insecure, and have BPD tendencies. Those are her psychiatrist's words, not mine. I believe this could save our relationship. However, we still have to get through the resulting conundrum that is she feels she needs commitment in order to give me the peace I seek in the relationship, and I need peace in order to give her the commitment she seeks. We both love each other deeply, but this conflict is causing a lot of damage to the relationship to the point where we don't know how to move forward successfully. I want to save it, but she's going to have to demonstrate that she's better. And she says I'm asking too much. Am I? All I want is for her to let go of the past, stop arguing, stop being insecure, and just let things be good. All I want is for her to be a different person with different feelings, different mental health, and a different communication style. That's all. Yeah, no big deal. Uh, Boy, do I want these people to stay broken up. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I wrote in my notes. Wait, hold on. It said... It is important that we marry and start a family quickly. I said, actually, it is not. <laughs> it is. And I get it. Like, well, I don't fully get it. And sometimes I wonder if my opinions about this come from a place of loving kids, but never having wanted them where like, maybe I'm not being thoughtful enough about that pressure. But you don't win by doing those things with someone who is actively making you miserable. Mm-mm. This is not a good match. And I get the chicken and egg of it all. Like. She wants to be better about how she handles herself. Then he will commit, but he can't commit until she has hit some bar on some mental health. Like, right. Giving him peace. Don't you get the sense that he's like 
and then she'll have like one mental health. And when she right. wins it, when <laughs> this is like a thing, you know, I, I say this as someone with anxiety that is very diagnosed. Like it doesn't, there are good days and bad days. And I certainly am in a phase where I'm like, oh, I'm pretty, I'm managing this pretty well, but it doesn't, it's not like one day I'll be like, it's gone. And now I'm ready to be a totally. really great partner. So th- this pressure they put on each other. Wow. I hope they stay very far apart. Do you know why I think they might not stay very far apart? Is it the age? Some people love drama. Oh, I think yeah. there's part of it where it's like all this back and forth. It's almost intentional miscommunication. Yeah. You know, um, she left it up to him about the texting. She took it as him being not that into her. You know how on every um, reality dating show, the constant sort of like platitude is communication is important. You have to communicate. And it's so stupid. Of course, you have to communicate. What does that even mean? But here, I would really say if they even had a chance, they would need to drastically improve their communication. And I don't think they want to, because I think on some level, they both love like the intensity and the drama and the conflict of this all. I think that keeps some people going. It definitely might make it feel to them like, we're in it like we we had to make this work because mm-hmm. look at all this effort we put. What do you think about this thing in the beginning about I'm not a texter caller and she asked me like you know this this negotiating how many times do I have to check in with you in a way I totally don't want to check in with you to make you feel seen like is that a is that good compromise and good communication of oh texting doesn't come naturally to me or is it already a mismatch already a mismatch already a mismatch the minute you're counting text messages yeah like i fulfilled my text obligation and yeah i mean he needs to be with someone else who's not a texter or a caller and she needs to be with someone who's all over her communicating all day to reassure her and those people are out there you know what this reminds me of too when men say, all my exes are crazy. And of course, people think, well, maybe maybe you contributed to that a little. Yeah. I mean, she. I'm not saying she doesn't have her own issues, but um, he's absolutely triggering and exacerbating all of them by, by not accepting her. You know, not just by the not texting, but a total lack of acceptance is actually really painful to her. I do wonder, like, if she is also this idea that they have to commit, he has to commit, he has to commit. Is it that he seems to have one foot out the door, which now he does or when they both made that pact in the beginning we got to move on this fast if all of this is a timeline that is just unrealistic so she's saying love me be in love with me be ready to have kids with me be ready to commit to me and he's saying well that actually feels a little off Mm -hmm. that that is yeah this this was i'm sorry to say a little bit doomed but um i like your thought about the drama because If so, maybe they are a perfect match. I always feel like, I don't know if you feel the same when you look at your inbox, but when the letter is so long and there's so much back and forth, I'm like, you enjoyed writing this. Yeah. And, and you know, it was probably like the fifth draft. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Um, I'm going to bring up something from your distant past, not your personal life, not PIL. I think it was 2018 or 19. um, You wrote a a reported piece on breakup summits Yes. So these events that were being held for teenagers to help them think about um, what it means to break up, how to handle a breakup, how to recover from a breakup, how to do it without hurting the other person. And sometimes I really wonder um, if more adults had those, if they would feel more equipped to just end things that are pretty clearly not working. It seems to me that a lot of people feel breaking up is not an option. I I was obsessed and still am with this seminar they give to teens 
some teens in Boston. It's like a Boston public school, public health program. And sitting through these seminars with these teens, I was like, I never learned this. Mm -hmm. To have somebody say to you, when somebody dumps you and you don't know what's coming and you're rejected, it feels like the end of the world, really. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels that bad. And and to be instructed with that, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, all the violence that this would prevent of just being able to deal, to recognize and deal with the feeling. I think right. what you're saying is also incredibly important, this idea that letting go of someone or changing your relationship with them isn't a failure. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a failed relationship. It's sort of run the course of the relationship. And that to be able to let go without feeling like I have to squeeze this into something and make it work would be a gift. Uh, It's hard to know though, because we're also told that in long relationships and long marriages, you're going to get sick of each other. You're going to have to reinvent yourself as a, as partners. So how do you know the difference between boredom and, ultimate dissatisfaction how do you mm-hmm. know when to walk versus when to work on something it's all unique i imagine to the person but to, to just have permission i think to walk away would be nice to, to have start. permission to walk away and know that um you're gonna feel difficult feelings and also like that breakups happen even when you don't 100 percent hate the person and feel there's nothing there Breakups can happen when you feel there is a lot of connection and there is history and there are things you love, but it's just not working all the way. Um, I do think when you talk about the gender bias with mustaches and other things, like sometimes I will get letters or, or hear from women about the straight women about this idea of like, Oh, you know, this person broke up with me or this person, like this person is a bad person for mm -hmm. not keeping the relationship going. And there's a real difference there. Like just as, anybody is not bad for wanting to leave like actually saying this isn't working for me and i have to go is pretty great it's it's respectful it's real it's um like we should want people to move on when they are unhappy and talk about it so yeah absolutely so to answer the letter writer's direct question she said i am asking too much am i i don't know you're, yeah. you're asking too much from her. You're asking yes. her to be someone who she's not at this moment. And yes, it is too much to ask someone to change. Um, this reminds me of another one of my favorite rants, which is I think it's so damaging that people always hear relationships are work because so much gets swept under the relationships are work rug. Um, yeah. Like I think in my opinion, the work is supposed to be sort of like, sort of conscientious, like, thoughtful daily work, not going through hell, you know? Yeah. And too many people are going through hell emotionally and are like, well, relationships are work. So I suppose this is just part of it. This is just being a couple. And I just strongly disagree with that. There's too many people in the world. Um, and I think both of the people in this letter could find someone um, who kind of gives them what they, what they want without being forced to. Agreed. This is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned. I'm Janae, and you're listening to Dear Prudence. Meredith and I are about to tackle our last letter for the day. You ready, Meredith? Yes, I am. This letter is titled Wedding Woes. My fiancé and I are fighting over a location for our wedding. Our families live in different but adjacent states. 
I want to pick a place close to the middle so everyone can potentially drive there. She's arguing that her elderly grandparents will not be able to make such a long drive and that we need to have it in her hometown where they live. They're both disabled and shouldn't be driving anyway, but no one has the heart to take the keys away. Both of my grandparents died long before I was born, but both my sisters and their families will have to fly if we have the wedding in her hometown. I don't see this as fair in any way. Someone could just drive the grandparents, but no one wants to confront the fact that they shouldn't be driving anyway, which they will insist on. We need a deciding vote here. Help. This is exactly what you were talking about, Meredith, when it comes to um, sharing values. Like, how much do we go out of our way and plan our wedding around elderly grandparents is a thing about which reasonable people can disagree. Um, but you might want to be marrying someone who feels similarly to you. That said, I don't think this is something that can't be resolved. No, in this particular case, I think somebody's just going to have to be like, hey, grandparents, I happen to be nearby, get in the car. If you don't want to confront them about their driving, if everybody's too scared to do that. Also, people can get in an accident like five minutes from their house. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure that having it down the street is that much more helpful. Like, Wherever you have it, somebody get the grandparents. No, <laughs> get the whole, get all the family who lives in that town to rent a van. Your cousin, rent, the cousin oh, what can a good, drive. It's a love shuttle. that idea. Yeah, love it. And, and by the in. way, like there was a van associated with a wedding I just went to, and the moment it showed up, I was like, yes, yeah, someone has planned for my comfort, and I don't have to think about how I'm getting to the next place. I love the van idea. This is, I mean, it sounds like the bigger issue here is like, why hasn't this family confronted? their relatives about driving, but like, let's focus on the wedding and not, that that can be after. (laughs) If they really are um, older and dealing with disabilities, who's to say what condition they'll be in a year from now or whenever the wedding actually happens. I mean, it could happen and they could be bed bound. They could be, they could have given up driving by then. Um, It's such a long time, especially for an older person that I don't think it makes any sense at all to plan around them driving. But I think one way the letter writer could approach it um, with their spouse, their future spouse, is to take the grandparents out of the equation and just actually think about where you want to have your wedding. Oh, like, like, look at that. the look at the venues in both towns. Look at the stuff to do. Look at the price. Look at the decent hotels. Look at the block room rates. Look at the the caterers and the cake makers who you, bakers, I guess they're called, who you like. Um, which place do you like better? I think there might be a clear winner. Yeah. That you would both actually be excited about, and that might help you agree. And it might be where the grandparents live. I don't think you can really plan a wedding around one to two people because they might be under the weather that day, even if they're mm-hmm. just some regular guest. I, I, It's a big risk to take, and I love your idea of just saying, well, where would it be nice to get married and then figure out transportation? Yeah. It, this letter reminds me of, have you ever seen like those heartwarming videos where someone's parent or grandparent is hospitalized or at the end of their life and the people decide to go have the wedding at the hospital bedside? Yeah. Um, it just makes you realize how much, um, like how much they had to agree on that, you know? Yeah. Now One I'm, person now was I'm pictu- giving up a lot. <laughs> now I'm picturing like the whole wedding party in the house of the grandparents and the grandparents being like, what are these people doing here? Like, <laughs> Right. Get out. It's time for Jeopardy. Exactly. Get out of my house. Right. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Go, go look for where the best venue actually is. And if it really is a tie, which I don't think it will be, you've got to identify a cousin who will simply drive the van. It's going to be okay. And also like deal with the bigger issue, which is, keeping these people safe and other drivers on the road safe, please. 
Okay, those are all the questions we have for this week. Hopefully we've been helpful. We definitely had fun. Thank you, Meredith. Thank you for having me. Meredith's love advice column, Love Letters, appears daily on Boston.com and in the Globe's print edition every Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, and in the Sunday magazine. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, or people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday. If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous. Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Brandon Nix. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your Dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.